the title of the message is just what this is. This is Paul's final exhortation to this church. Paul is the founder of this church, but he is not at the church. He's in, he's in Ephesus writing this letter uh, for a couple reasons. The first reason is the church is super messed up, has a lot of trouble, has a lot of issues. And they wrote him and asked him about, hey, what do we do about this? Or what do we do about when people are doing this? Or whatever it is, we've covered it. I mean, it's been literally months uh, for a medium-sized New Testament letter. But the recap is this. Paul loved this church. Paul founded this church. He was here for a year and a half-ish, give or take. And he wanted to give them clear instructions of how to handle division. Division in any church, division in an organization, in a business. You have a partnership, you have a business, and the two owners of the company think the company should go in opposite directions. That company is not going to last very much longer. Um, there's a, a gentleman who used to go here uh, years back, and he, he passed away a few years back, and he used to tell me, um, the only boat that will not float is a partnership. Now think about that. What we do as the church is we partner with the Lord, but there's nobody who's any more important. There's nobody who's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm the best uh, asset God has, so everybody else needs to listen to me. That's not the heart. That's not Paul's heart. But there were some that said that about him. There were some that challenged his gift of apostleship. There were some that, you know, Paul had this start. When the church started in Acts chapter 2, Paul had a start that wasn't so good, as you guys know. That Paul prosecuted the church, that Paul tried to get them to stop because he thought they were blaspheming God Almighty. He did not know Christ the way he would once Christ appeared to him through his vision and showed him that these things had to happen. And I am God's son. And so he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And Paul went and Paul obeyed him. Paul was discipled. Paul heard from Christ. The letters in uh, 1 Corinthians, the communion passage are read. These are, these are, These are Jesus's words to Paul. Paul was absolutely an apostle and they, some of them challenged it. There was sexual immorality going on. There was issues with the communal, uh, communal meal, the potluck, if you will. There were issues for the people caring for those. Let's fortunate. There was a lot of out of order stuff going on with, with the gifts of tongues and prophesying and the over one another and people trying to all speak at one time. There was issues with giving and finances. There was all sorts of stuff. And, He's, he comes to this final exhortation, um, and I want to read just the uh, first few, uh, five through eight of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, Paul says, now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. It may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. There's, there's, there's plans that you and I make and there's plans where God goes, I don't want you to do that. Paul several times in the New Testament was stopped by God for one reason or another and only God knows what those reasons were. He was gonna be going this way and Paul goes, or God goes, and you're not going there, I want you to stay here or I want you to go over here instead. We make our plans. We, we'd say, we're going to go and do this or that, whatever it is. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to start a church. I'm going to, whatever that ends up being in our own heart. And God directs, God changes, God moves. When we seek him and, and, and we wait, 
and we truly are waiting on him, he may move us off of the thing we thought we were going to be doing. When Shannon and I started this church, uh, the first place we thought we were headed to was Dallas, Texas. And we went out to Dallas and a bunch of things happened a few months before we went there that I was like, we were ready. We were praying about it. Uh, some of the people that were at the other church with us um, were praying toward it as well. And right before it happened, some things had changed and it was like, hmm, this isn't going to work. And we we were praying and seeking God in this hotel in North Dallas. And we just felt like God was saying Midtown, which was hilarious because I was afraid of Midtown when I first moved here. I was literally afraid of this area. Um, I would drive around it because I was like, man, this is like, it's the opposite of where I grew up. Let me just tell you. Everywhere was white picket fences. No one locked their cars. No one locked their houses. There was no, there was nothing um, like Midtown where I grew up. So when some people go, well, you lived in Chicago. Yeah, that was 40 miles away. Um, much, much, much worse. The area we're talking about, Chicago. But it was interesting that God directed us to this area, the Palo Verde area. Paul wanted to go there. He wanted to see these people. He wanted to see them in person. But he also realized that it wouldn't be the kind of visit that you do over a weekend. Sometimes you have pastors come and you're like, hey, we got a guy coming in for the weekend. And he's from this church from, you know, we used to know him a little bit. And he comes and guest speaks and off he goes. And it's a wonderful thing. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, we remember that guy. He was great. This is not that. This is Paul meeting with the church, meeting with the leadership as kind of their father and going, hey, all right, let's talk about the stuff that's going on. I only read you a little bit of the issues that were going on in this church. So oftentimes when you have a relationship with a church that you used to pastor, there's an excitement for you to come back and teach with them. There's lots of people that have gone out of Calvary where, where a lot of us uh, youth guys started 15, 10 years back. Um, and when we have come back to speak, um, every guy that I know of that's, that's left has come back and Robert's asked uh, a few of us to speak. Um, it's always a, it's always a great time. It's always like a, there's nothing about it that's tough. There's nothing about it that's like, oh man, this is going to be, this is going to be bad because I'm just going to lay it down. No, because they have church leadership in place. This church had really struggling issues and whatever leaders were going on, some of them were, um, some of them were starting divisions and some of them were on weird theologies. And so Paul needed to straighten it out as their founding pastor, but he couldn't do it in a weekend. And so he wanted to stay for a while, but God directed his journey. And he says, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to hang out in Ephesus until Pentecost because why verse nine for a great and effective door has been opened to me. And there are many adversaries. That's what will happen when a great work happens there is a great opposition built against it. That is a fact. You can count on it. Um, there's, I mean, you can, if you talk to the, to the Billy Graham and the Franklin Graham people, they can probably tell you that on this tour that they're doing, they have had probably a lot of opposition that you may not be aware of, you may not ever know about, but they, as they win souls to Christ with these crusades, there's people in the cities that don't necessarily like evangelical crusades coming through town. This is probably a town that's one of those towns, uh, Pima County, uh, Tucson in general, probably not too uh, excited about Franklin Graham coming to town. I don't know, but I can just tell you based on how they operate in other areas, they're probably not that excited about it. But Paul said, hey, there's a great and effective door. It's been open to me. There's many adversaries. And if Timothy comes, Timothy, who was with him, much younger pastor, 
see that he may be with you, with you without fear. For he does the work of the Lord as I also do. The difference between the two is that Paul is this bold, older guy that knows the, back, the, the Old Testament backwards and forwards. Timothy is a newer convert, a new pastor. Um, God had ordained him for the ministry. But, but Timothy was kind of a little bit more of a bashful guy. Timothy was not a bold guy. And you, if you read Paul's letters, if you read the New Testament about Timothy, Timothy's a great guy, but he does not have this pioneering, like self-starter doer mentality like Paul does. And so he's like, I'm going to send you guys somebody because they want, they want one of these guys to come. They want Apollos to come back. They want Paul to come back. They want somebody to come to the church and minister. And he's like, hey, if, I, if Timothy comes, I'm not saying he will. Don't beat him up. And you go, well, why would the church do that? Oh, the church has a way of beating pastors very, very, very hard. Um, they say the sheep, the sheep fight. Um, I have heard so many pastors over the years that have told me their ministry experience. And the one thing I've asked a lot of them, it always blows me away. In the denominations, Calvary, some would say it's a denomination. Some would say it's not. Um, the early Calvary fathers would tell you it is absolutely not a denomination. But now people use the word Calvary. Oh, is it Baptist, Lutheran, or Calvary? It's kind of a denomination. So whether it is or isn't, it's it's semantics on some level. But he, um, this one guy I was talking to, he said, uh, oh, yeah, I, went, I was a pastor at this place, this place, and then this place. I was like, and then what? Well, then I got fired from that church. And I'm like, okay, tell me something. This is an older guy. I said, tell me something. Why is it you guys in that denomination? I'm not going to call it out. Why do you guys always move so much? You're always moving. He's like, well, they move us on. I know, but why? All that does is mess up the church. You move a guy who's grown a church a little bit and you move him to like the next, it's like a, it's like a promotion. You're, you know, you had a church of a hundred. Now you're, we're going to give you a church of 300. And if you're really, really good, we'll give you a church of 500. I don't know what, the, what that is, but when you, when you uproot the pastor, the next guy that comes in is pretty much destined to fail. I can just tell you right now. It was like when Lute Olson uh, retired, sort of retired. Um, Kevin McNeil, whatever his name was from the NBA, uh, there was no chance that guy was going to be there for 20 years. Because we need a buffer. We need a guy to, to sack in between. You want to be the next guy. You want to be Sean Miller. You don't want to be the guy after the guy. And Paul was the guy. Paul was a big deal. And so he's like, hey, if Timothy comes, don't beat him up. Okay, please be nice to him. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace that he may come to me for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now, whether this is specifically about the offering, we talked about this last uh, last teaching was First uh, Corinthians one through four, where Paul says, "Hey, the 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 Jerusalem church is struggling financially for many reasons, and other churches in the north of of where this was modern day Greece, uh, Corinth, other churches have said we want to give to these people. This one church specifically was super poor, and they said we want it. We consider it a privilege to give. We want to give, and so if you want to get on, if you guys want to give, get in on it on the first day of the week. Let you guys set aside money." I don't want to have somebody show up, me or Timothy or somebody else, and hit you hard and be like, oh, we got to give to that thing and then make people give because of an emotional plea um, because, oh my gosh, we have this bag right here and it has nothing in it. So you guys need to dig deep, reach down into your into your pockets. And giving is a huge deal. Giving is a big deal for the church. And so uh, it's possible that Timothy would come, uh, bless them, teach a little bit and pick that up. 
uh, and take that to Paul before they went uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, so don't despise him. Please, when he finds me after he comes to your church, please allow him to be full of peace. Allow him to be encouraged. Don't beat him up. So um, Paul says, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come. Now, why is it that a guy who who used to be around these people is now unwilling to come to this church? Now, this is just a little bit, it, this is a, a digression for sure, but church planting is not easy, okay? So Paul, this is not an easy, like Paul didn't do this job because he wanted to. Like, well, I dream of going to the Greeks who know nothing. He called them barbarians. He basically called them like, they know nothing. You're going to come with a Jewish pedigree with the new covenant, preaching Christ and him crucified. That's it. You're going to come to the wild Greek provinces, which are basically like Las Vegas, who's never even heard of Jesus or very few have. And you're going to preach to them repentance and the, and the, and the good news of the gospel. That's what Paul wants to do for the rest of his life. No, Paul wanted to be not only a member of the Sanhedrin, but he probably would have been the greatest high priest they ever had, is my guess, because he was such an awesome lawyer and he knew Judaism and he loved he loved it. He loved all of it. But he comes to this church. He founds this church. Apollos has been there because he even talks about it early on in the in the letter. He's like, hey, some are, some say I'm of Apollo. Some say I'm of Apollos. So Paul, he says, hey, go down there. Go down to Corinth. It's not that far. Uh, I mean, for considering where, where this guy had been uh, on ships. Uh, you know, considering our brother, I strongly urge him to come to you guys with the brethren, with people from the, chur- the church at Ephesus, but he was quite unwilling to come. That is a, kind of an indictment on the Corinthian church. It's kind of a, uh, who wants to go to Corinth? Nobody. It's like if you were to ask Chuck Smith and his early disciples, who wants to go plant in Vegas? Mike Mack, I can see him going, how about San Diego? And Mike went to San Diego. And Greg Laurie, I don't know, uh, you got Costa Mesa covered. How about the Inland Empire? How about, how about Riverside or Covina or whatever? There's literally like over 100 Calvaries. There might be more in the Inland Empire and Orange County. Forget San Diego. So nobody want to wanna go to Vegas. Why? Because it's hard. It's like you're, you're going, where are you going to go if you go to Vegas? You're going to go to downtown Vegas. And try to get the people of Vegas to come to church in a house someplace. I mean, these were house churches. So Apollos is like, nah, God's doing, God's blowing up Ephesus. Let's stay here. Uh, maybe at some point I'll come. But he's quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. You know, there's, there seems to be a human element here. It seems to be a little bit of a, hey, we'll get on that. When somebody, when somebody reminds you of something you haven't done like 10 times in a row and you're like, I'll get right on that. Okay. What does that actually mean? Um, don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. I'll get to it. My wife, I, I have a, I have a bus on my property that I bought, uh, really, really cheap and it looks really, really cheap. And I was going to convert it into an RV and it's been there for two years or, or more. And she's like, when are you going to get the bus? I go, it's on my list. It's on my list. When are you going to get the bus out of here? It's on my list. So I don't know if that was the, it's on his list. For Corinth, it's on his list. He's going to be there. Um, when he has a convenient time, I do believe he would come. I, without, I mean, when you read Paul, I do believe that he would come. 
But Ephesus, God was doing amazing work in Ephesus and Ephesus is and was at this time was a rocking uh, hotbed for ministry. And Paul reiterates that. So verse 13, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave and strong. Let all that you do be done with love. He has talked about this so much. He's talked about the love that they have for one another, the love that they have for not just church people, just church people anywhere, that they love the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. That's why they want to get on board. Now, this is a richer church than the ones up north uh, in Macedonia, uh, some of them that Paul talked about. And so they could afford. And he says, hey, you know, give according to what you have, given according to what you earn. That's what he was saying to these guys. This church has has definitely a lot of resources. And if you understand the port city that it was, you would understand um, that this was definitely one of those cities that was set up for success from a from a uh, industry perspective. But I want to spend the, the few minutes we have left on this, more mostly on these two verses. How he starts off the, uh, verse 13 and 14. Watch. Watch what? Being watchful as a Christian, what do you got to watch out for? What do you and I have to watch out for? What did they have to watch out for? Watch out for the people in your life. Watch out for the people in your in your family. Watch out for the saints. Watch out for these these folks that are coming in that don't know anything about the Lord, but they're like, hey, I just showed up and everyone's screaming in tongues and this guy's prophesying over in the corner and this lady is shouting at her husband over here your church is weird. I mean, honestly, that's, there was a lot of that going on in this church. That's one of the things Paul was trying. He's trying to nicely and very strongly, very different than how Timothy would have said it. But he's saying, guys, watch out. There's deceptions everywhere. When Peter said, hey, Satan wants to sift you. Satan wants after you. He walks around like a lion looking to devour God's people looking to train to to derail them to wreck their lives to put something in their life that's going to derail their faith be watchful stand fast in the faith watch out for your your family the church your friends there are many pitfalls there are traps everywhere stand fast in the faith i remember this um this guy that used to say stand for something whatever that is or you'll fall for anything and, and I apply it more to biblical truth than, than standing for some, you know, some nice novel law. But stand fast in the faith because if you don't, you will drift very far. If you don't stay connected to the church, going to church is not, oh, I just go to church because I should. Or I go to church because God will be mad at me if I don't go at least 48 out of 52. I'm allowed four sick days. It's, what are you talking about? Like, what is that? Where does that come from? the stars. We used to get stars for showing up. I think for me, it was the Awana thing, the whole stars. Oh, you went, you came to church 50 out of 52. We don't live in that culture anymore. Obviously a church attendance for most people is, is it's low. It's not number one. We'll just say that. But one of the things that doing church together, especially where you can know people is that's where you'll meet people that can hold you accountable or that can look out for you. They can look at your life and they can look at, they can know you enough to go, oh, that's not good. And, but once again, we also have lived in a culture that says everything about the culture says, do not tell me what to do. Do not tell me 
that there's a standard. Don't get into my business. Stay in your own lane. Don't judge me. Whatever the, the, the bumper sticker of the week is, you've seen them all. Do you follow Jesus this closely? Bumper sticker. I hope so. Oh, you'll see it. You'll see it. It's aimed at me in the Costco parking lot. Um, he says, he says, hey guys, be brave, be strong, stand fast. Let all that you do be done with love. His parting words, we, we think about somebody that you've lost that you love. Um, and, and I, I think about my grandmother who, um, was so, she was such a solid, solid believer. Um, she died when I was in junior high at 93 and she died, literally fell asleep, had just, uh, her, her sisters had just said, oh yeah, she just prayed for, she had made phone calls, gone to church and, and prayed for all of, of her family members and took a nap and her heart stopped. I was like, that's the greatest thing in the world. That's the greatest way to go. No pain. But she was so like her life, she had nothing. She had like no money. She's in a nursing home for like years. And these little uh, Chicago, uh, like like the room was like a hundred square feet. That was her room in this nursing home. Every time we went in, there was like 85 degrees or hotter. And you're a little kid who walk in here like, man, what is, what is wrong with the heat in here? But it's like all these old people that are like, they're all cold and they're all in this place. I'm like, how can you be excited about living here? It's like the worst. The food smells horrible. And she just, she, her face lit up when she saw us and she, she had nothing but amazing thing. It was, it was always positive. It was always the Lord is so good. The Lord has done this. Never forgot a birthday. Always wrote her little cards out with a $2 bill. And the last things they say to you, they stick and with Paul. Paul planned to come to this church and there was some trouble because of the time. If you read first Corinthians chapter one, you'll, you can know, um, what we're talking about, but Paul's last real words here are these last few. He says, guys, let all that you do be done with love. This agape love. I urge you, brethren, you know, the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. He's trying to reiterate that there is an order in the church and, and whether you like it or not, it is. There is an order to life, whether you like it or not, there is. God sets stuff up in a certain way and most people hate it. Most people don't like hearing that God has a standard as to how people should live and that he will call people to account. They don't want to hear that. Some people believe that if they just... If they shut you off halfway mid sentence, that somehow God will be like, "Oh, they did. They said shut up, so they're not. They're off the hook." It's not how it works. And and Romans chapter one and two are crystal clear about how it works. That you can't just say that. You can't just say, "Well, no one said anything to me." God makes Himself known throughout humanity, throughout throughout creation, and there is an order. And He's saying, "Guys, submit to the leaders." There are leaders. Now, they didn't have official positions. They didn't have these things that the high church all has, the bishopry and all that stuff. They didn't have that stuff. There was no pope. There was no priest. Uh, in the New Peter was not the first pope. I don't know who told me that, but it's not true. Um, there's nowhere in there where uh, address him as pope. Jesus said, don't call people these crazy names. Oh, his, his eminency is here. I make jokes with uh, Jason, the pastor of the pastors, the, the church after this one. Um, when he walks in, he sometimes he wears a suit and I go, um, quiet, everyone. His eminence has walked in. Um, and we're buddies, so we can say that to each other. But 
Um, and, and sometimes I, I'm like, I'm sorry, his grace. I'm sorry. We'll be quiet. But Jesus is like, don't do that stuff. It's fine if somebody calls you pastor. It's, I mean, it, it's a title. It's an office. Fine. But not, not on a level where, oh, you're better than, you're better than all of us. You're on a different level with God than us. No. You, your father is God. All of you, me, all of us, our father is God. Our savior is Christ. So just submit to that. I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, uh, Fortune, for, Fortunatus, and Achaeus, for what was lacking on your part they supplied. For they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. Acknowledge it. Don't worship it, but acknowledge it. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla, who Paul uh, got saved out of that town and then went with Paul, tent makers, greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. They had a house church in Ephesus. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. We don't have tons of time on that one, but you don't have to do that. That is, uh, there's, there's a lot in that. We don't have tons of time to, to get to that, but um, that did fade away, um, historians and, and uh, uh, scholars talk about. But the salutation with my own hand, Paul's. So Paul's, Paul had a scribe that would write this, and Paul did dictate this uh, word for word to a scribe who wrote it. But this is when he stopped and he told the guy, stop. I'm going to write the rest of it with my hand so that it's not just the whole thing. When you hand somebody a letter and it's all printed out, and the last, the PS is signed and whatnot. It's a little different than you just get this form letter that says, you and your wife are requested to come to Sullivan's and talk about a, a timeshare opportunity. Well, me and 4 million people got those. And this guy's signature is is all laser fed printed. There's nobody nobody that knows us that's, that's writing this. Paul wanted them to know, hey, I, this last part is from my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Oh, Lord, come. Now, there's obviously it's a dynamic statement, but there's also the belief that there were the false teachers at in their church that this was aimed directly at them. Um, I don't know that that's, uh, that's, there's some scholarly support for that. But it seems like, hey, the last thing I want to get across to you guys is love one another, respect the leaders in your church, those that are doing God's actual work, and the guys that aren't, let them be accursed. It's pretty, I mean, it's pretty strong words, but Paul's not like he doesn't he doesn't pull punches. Paul doesn't, he doesn't softball it for you. Um, and then he says, Oh Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Jesus Christ. And in Christ Jesus, amen. So uh just as we close, 16. We, we chopped them up into 16 chapters. That's what we have done. Um, it's a grid system, so you can find it. Uh, somebody goes, hey, 1 Corinthians 14, chapter uh, chapter 14, verse 3. You know where to find it. You know how to find it. If, there, if it was just like 15 pages, you would struggle. But this is a long letter. This has a ton in it. But all he's really saying to these guys is there is an order to the church. There is an order in how God, the Godhead. There's, and he talked about that, a father, son, and the Holy Spirit, and how there's not a conflict, how there's not um, issues of like, oh, Jesus is outshining, the father is outshining the Holy Spirit, that we are to look at that love, to look at the love that, that brought Jesus to not only sacrifice, but to the Lord's table, how he said, hey, this is my, I'm giving you my life as this new covenant. 
do this and remember me. Do this when you guys come together. In a sense, toast. They would after the communion meal, they would toast and do the communion thing that we do, or some derivative of it. But he's he's telling them whether I come right now, whether I come this coming spring or this winter, whatever it is, you guys need to understand that there is an order to how the church meeting should go. There is an order to your lives. There needs to be evidence of this spiritual order that God has set in place. And um, the issues in this church were great, huge issues. We spent months teaching through them, um, trying to look at some of the mistakes they made and look at the, I mean, Paul did compliment some things that they did. And there were some great things. There were some people doing um, truly God's work in this church. But this this rebuke is one of the, it's up there in the most um, highest rebukes in the New Testament, um, for certainly from Paul. But he wants them to understand the love of Christ and the grace. Don't let, if anyone doesn't love the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. But the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ. That's the most important thing. That, that when you guys, when we see it, when we see people who um, are truly Christians, not not American, like, oh, yeah, uh, I guess I'm a Christian, I guess, because uh, I didn't vote for, for Biden. I guess I'm a Christian. Okay. I mean, <laughs> literally, it's like, that's the prereq. Um, I'm talking about somebody who follows Christ, who follows God's word. When you see that love, when you see them open-handed about stuff when you, when you, when somebody somebody takes something from them when somebody steals something from them when somebody hurts them uh slanders them they go you know what lord bless them you know what god will deal with it i'm vengeance is mine god says i'm going to trust him when you see that level of love you know you have tapped christ's life colossians chapter 3 christ who is your life when the hope of glory is oozing out of you that's when people will go, that's different than anything else we've seen. And he wants them so badly to have that. He wants them to have the grace that's how God saved people who didn't deserve it and gave them the ability to love through his power. This is the hope of the church. One of the things you realize being in a church is that you have no power to change people. You and I cannot change hearts. You can try to persuade them, as Paul did. Paul, this whole letter is, is basically a persuasive argument to, to largely turn around from how out of order the church was. Ultimately, he left it up to these inspired words from the Holy Spirit to convict and persuade this church to change course. He couldn't worry because he had so much to do in Ephesus, but he prayed for them and he trusted the Lord to work these things out. How God, how God works, I don't know. How he, saved these 11 disciples and Judas did what he what he wanted to do. I don't understand it. That's not for me to understand. That's something that God understands. God's foreknowledge is God's foreknowledge. I don't have it. But all you can do is go tell these people the truth, write this letter to them, get this letter to them, and let the Holy Spirit work. Some people are going to leave and be offended. Some people are going to stay and be changed. That's all you can do. In your life and my life, we need to focus on ourselves we need to focus on working out this salvation with fear and trembling. We need to worry about how it is that we are the legacy of love that we're that we're leaving. That wherever you go, people go, man, he loves well. 
He loves well. That's, I, I would say that's probably a better target than anything else you can, you can aim at in this life. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for this uh, text as we close it out. Um, a long teaching, a long, a long um, stretch uh, in this book. And God, it's been so rich. Um, Lord, I thank you for um, giving me the ability just to, to see it firsthand and to be able to, to proclaim it and preach it. Um, God, I pray that it lands um, on, on soft hearts. Uh, mine, mine first and foremost. Uh, God, we thank you for the communal meal, for the, the blessing of, of the food. God, that we take for granted so often. Um, bless the food as we go take it. In Jesus' name, amen.